SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of Sega Talk. I'm your host, George, and with me is Barry. Your host with the most. Oh, that's that's what they say God. right on the show. That's a, that's a sign that that's we haven't terrible. done. That's a sign we haven't done one of these in a while when I'm just like, uh, uh, yeah, whoops. Yeah. This is a very special episode yes. because if you didn't know, on September 9th, 2019, which is the future, because mm-hmm. we're recording this a few days in the past, the Dreamcast is going to turn 20 years old in America, which is a big day for me and Barry since we grew up as Americans and uh, enjoyed the Dreamcast in America. Um, and like uh, like always, if you like this, ep- if you like these kind of shows and you want to see us do more, you could support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash segabits. Yes. And if you want to subscribe, you can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and of course, you can see the video form on our YouTube channel. And like every episode, let's talk about our history with the launch of the Dreamcast. I think we've told this story in like Sega News Bits episodes randomly here and there. Yeah. But uh, tell us your first time you, uh, I guess, heard about the Dreamcast, saw the Dreamcast, and played the Dreamcast, or even your experience with the hype surrounding the Dreamcast before release. Yeah, so I, I honestly, I can't pinpoint when it was. It must have been in some tech magazine, maybe Wired. You know, like I'd hear about something coming, but I mean, it's so hard to put yourself in that mindset of when you were a kid or a teenager in the 90s and how news came to you and how you processed it. Because I'll be completely honest, I didn't really know what the Saturn was when it released, and it took me like five years to really figure out that it was a disc based brand new system that the little cartridge slot in the back was not a Sega Genesis. Like I couldn't process uh, yeah. it. I didn't know what it was. And maybe that's Sega's marketing failing <laughs> like to tell a normie like me who only owned a Sega Genesis what they were selling. But like when I saw the Dreamcast and when I read about it, and this must have been like nineteen ninety eight when people in Japan and journalists started importing it and I was reading about it, like, I instantly understood it was what it was. It was a brand new console. It used, it used discs. It had the internet. And just reading the feature list, like, this was a device, this was a console that you wanted to own. And yeah. this, and I mean, I guess I'm trying to maybe compare it to something more modern. It's kind of like when the iPhone was shown off. And, like, you immediately understood what they were going for. You saw all these features, and you're like, that sounds really awesome. And that's kind of like how the Dreamcast felt to me, where it was just like, it made perfect sense. Like, it wasn't, like, what's an alternative? Uh, The Wii U reveal. That was confusing, right? Very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were like, as Wii owners, I think we both had Wiis, we were like, oh, it's an add-on. That's kind of cool. I'll pick this up for, what is it, 100 bucks? You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe I mean, I'm, like yeah. the, the thing you said about the Sega Saturn with the with the cartridge slot. You know, a lot of people that I knew in real life would tell me the same thing. They're like, "You could play Sega Genesis on this," and yeah. they're like, "They all try to put the Sega Genesis games on it, but no." Oh yeah, can't. even if it said you couldn't, we would all try yeah. it. 
And I think a modern equivalent, and I know people compare the two, I don't think there's a, it's a real valid comparison, but the Nintendo Switch. Like, when I saw that, it wasn't as exciting as the Dreamcast was, but still, like, I saw what they were doing in instantly, and I was like, okay, I totally get what you're presenting here. It looks like an awesome way to play video games. And that's what this was. Um, yeah. So that was my first time hearing about it. Uh, how, how much further do you want me to go? Are we going to get into our, our actual, like, purchase uh, stories? J- or you could just let let us know when you, I guess, first played one? Mm. I probably pay, played, like, a demo unit at a store before it came out. Um, I know they, they must have had those because there were Japanese models, but... I, I believe it was Sonic Adventure, probably at like a video or electronic store, and I was just kind of I couldn't play it. Like it was imp- <laughs> because of, remember this is someone going from Sega Genesis to Dreamcast, and even with the Saturn, you were kind of struggling with figuring out the 3D controls. So mm. yeah, I just remember I remember playing it, but not doing very well, and thinking, well, this is still awesome, and I'm looking forward to like buying the console um, and playing it outright. Which was, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a little bit, but which was, like, November 2001. Yeah, you were... Or uh, 99. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 99. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, my friend got one growing up. He's the first one to get one. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, I was at the age where, like, I really got into magazines. I think we talked about this when we had the people from the official Dreamcast magazine yes. on, and we did the interview. But the Dreamcast was, like when I got really obsessed with like reading everything about video games, every news, like what's the next game coming out? Oh, mm-hmm. every month I would like wait for my official Dreamcast magazine, my EGM. And I'd be like obsessed with like what, what's happening in Japan. Cause they had everything ahead of us. Um, and they did some really cool features on uh, Japanese games. But, uh, so I didn't really know much about the say Dreamcast coming out. Hmm. So it was weird. Like, I was so ignorant about it. I just played the games that I had in my house. I was like, oh, I love the Sega Saturn. It has this. Oh, I love the, my PlayStation 1. It has these games. Mm-hmm. And my friend was, like, hyping me up. He's like, oh, they're making another Sega console. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. I mean, I was hyped for it, but I'm like, I, I can't afford that. Right. And uh, and he, his parents bought it for him. Like, I don't know. It was, like, the week of launch or, like, around the launch er- era. So, like, when I would go over... I would go over and he would be like bragging. Obviously, he's like, "Come over whenever you want. We can play Power Stone because that's the right. game he got." Because there was this, Sonic Adventure was like sold out. He had the demo disc that came with it that had like uh, Ready to Rumble, Sonic mm-hmm. Adventure, the first level. All those. Oh, dude! When I first saw Sonic Adventure, I was like, "Oh, dude, how can a game look better than this? Like, yeah. what do we need? Like, it looks ridiculous." Yeah. Um, like your footprints in the sand, little things like that. It was just like blew my mind, right? Yeah. And for uh, sure. full 3D, first full, I mean, the first time we saw a good full 3D Sonic, right? Yeah. So that all amazed me. Uh, it was pretty, inc- and then the, and then he started pulling out the, like, you could go on the internet with this. And that, it's crazy, dude. Like, you know, going from having a Sega Saturn or a Nintendo 64, and then you could play with anybody on, on anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's and insane. That's it's interesting you bring that up too. Like I, it's weird that we can remember looking at those graphics and thinking it can't be topped. It can't. Like how can you make it better than this? And I remember thinking that too with the the Genesis. I was like, there's no way that you can make 2D graphics look better than this. Like they've done it. 
There's no way. Yeah, they, they, they've done it, but it's like <laughs> when you're in that era, you're like, you don't have anything else to compare it to. Like, the only thing you can compare it to is like N64, but like, yeah. let's be honest, when we had this PlayStation 1 and the N64 and they were out, Mm-hmm. We kind of knew in the back of our head that like this is pretty primitive. Like I did at least. I, I mean, it looked great. I well, love Metal Gear Solid One, but like even then, I'm like his eyes look a little weird. It's a little blocky. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think I brought up the the uh, Genesis thing because that was coming off of you know like Atari, NES, Master System. You know, you look at those and there are you can see the limitations. And when you got to the Genesis, you were like, I don't see the limitations anymore. Like I don't see how they can improve this. I mean, looking back, I probably could have thought, well, like actual 2D animation. But I was looking at games like Mickey Mania and Earthworm Jim, and I was like, these are cartoons, basically, controllable cartoons. Um, with the Dreamcast, that's when I was like, they've perfected 3D graphics, and I don't think they can go any further than this. And sure, I would see like new games come out and improve graphics, but honestly, like I never looked at one of those games and thought... Uh, they looked primitive, even at the time. If the only thing that did were the um, PlayStation One ports and the Nintendo sixty four ports to the Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's get right into development because uh, I literally wrote like a thousand pages on just the development. Because to be honest with you, I'm surprised at how early Sega was already like thinking about the successor to the Saturn. Because mm-hmm. like, let's start. The development of the Dreamcast was largely inspired by the failure of the Sega Saturn, which was swamped by the PlayStation 1, which was largely and arguably superior. I say arguably because I would argue uh, when it came to 3D graphics, while the Sega Saturn was initially created for high quality 2D graphics. Uh, Ironically, Sony was inspired to make a 3D console due to the popularity of Sega's own Virtual Fighter. At this point, Sega had a few options. Uh, knowing that uh, the PlayStation was more powerful in 3D, uh, the CEO at the time, uh, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, Hayao Nakayama, Yuma? Sure. Hakayama, <laughs> uh, had two choices. You could either upgrade the console, like the 32X add-on, or scrap it for a new powerful console, which I think they should have done the later, especially considering these talks started as early as September 1994. So basically, the Saturn was barely out in Japan. So um, the uh, so they were thinking about going with an add-on like the 32X. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, did you know that Sega was already thinking of like a successor of, to the Sega Saturn? Like, I, I, of course you didn't. I mean, we were so young back then. But like 1994, that's, that's pretty freaking like early don't you think like you barely released your console in one region and you're already like it's it's a failure guys i mean we got the sequel i guess i could see that being surprising but at the same time you gotta imagine that even um nintendo is thinking about the the next console after the switch well before the switch was released you know yeah yeah like everyone's thinking about these things but when you hear about it when you when you peek behind the curtain you're like, wow. And we'll actually get into that at the very end of this when I when I get into um, you know, how early Sega was actually thinking about their next step after the Dreamcast. Like it's pretty surprising. Yeah, and uh one of the things that like really surprised me about this, like it's not, it didn't really surprise me, it's just the idea that like how obsessed Sega at this time was with like power. 
of a console. Mm. And if you really think back on all the interviews, you, if you ever read interviews with developers from Sega on the Sega Saturn when they talk about graphical power, they always bring up that like there's hidden power in the Sega Saturn that nobody could take advantage of because it's hard. And uh, like, all, like pretty much, I don't know if I would say pretending because I'm not a developer, but a lot of the reason that the PlayStation 1 took off was because how easy it was to develop for not yeah. because of its power, in my opinion. But, uh, well, the Saturn sold fairly well in Japan. It was actually Sega's highest-selling console in Japan for them, so it did really well. The console didn't do much in other places, including Europe and USA. Sega was already in talks about a Sega Saturn successor as early as 1995. Um, the rumor was that in 94 they were talking about it, but people knew for a fact as early as 1995. With Lockheed Martin, mm. who helped make Sega's popular Model 1 and Model 2 arcade boards at the time, and were working on the Model 3 arcade board at this time, were in charge of the Sa- what they were calling the Sega Saturn 2. Mm. Uh, their main focus was graphical power, again, something that Sega was obsessed with back then. Uh, Lockheed and Martin was using their real 3D series chipsets based on Windows PC and Saturn 2... Uh, Saturn- Two rumors were that it was going to use a R3D or slash 100 chipset for its graphics. Sega began to doubt the company, uh, Lockheed and Martin, when they failed to deliver the Model 3 arcade board when it was supposed to launch. It was supposed to come out like late 1995, but it was postponed to like mid-1996, mm-hmm. which that, that Sega lost a lot of market share in the arcades. As you could tell, like Model 1 and Model 2... Well, Model 1 was kind of like a beta. Model mm. 2 was super popular. I, I, almost all the biggest hits of Sega have that. But if you notice, Model 3 had a really short lifespan. And like yeah. kind of, they kind of moved on from it really quickly. And I'm pretty sure this has to do with it. But anyway, this is the last relationship Sega had with the company. Uh, you know, They're a contractor for the U.S. Army. So it's a big deal. So I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Something big had to happen, but... Well, we never saw Lockheed Martin's Saturn II consoles. They pitched Sega. What are your thoughts on Sega using them to design a console and even this early into uh, the Saturn's life cycle? I mean, I'm I'm not surprised at all. Um, I think it's smart of them to be doing this. And, you know, the, the Saturn was kind of, I think, a lesson for them because so many of their games translate so well to home console that we saw, like, with the, the Genesis... And the System 16 games seem to have a pretty good, you know, shift to the Mega Drive and Genesis. Whereas the Saturn, there was really no... I mean, I guess Model 2, right? Like, Virtual yeah. Fighter. But it, it was very difficult to port. Yeah, and that's true. I think it's really smart of them to align those two so that you can still make console-exclusive games that are clearly console-made, like Shenmue or even Jet Set Radio... But then you can also open the door to the arcade developers both porting their games and trying experimental stuff that they probably couldn't do in the arcade. So I think it's it's smart to combine these two. Um, yeah, it's just, a, and, it's just a shame Model 3 was delayed because I'm looking at the list of games. It's so small. Yeah, and nothing's like, really great. S- There's nothing really great on here. Yeah, you know? well, pe- some people would argue that Virtual Fighter 3 is the best Virtual Fighter game ever, but... I would agree with you. It's like the lifespan of the Model 3 is ridiculously short. It's like 
something that they did to, with Sega really pissed them off. So they're yeah. like, and they moved on. But um, I think it's interesting that they were hiring them to do this because they Sega at, at the past has always been in house. You know, like they have their series of de- of developers and uh, hardware manufacturers. But here it seems that they were going all out and thinking of new ways of like recouping, which is weird because when we see the Sega Saturn history, everybody mm-hmm. always paints Sega of Japan as this ignorant company that never took anybody's advice. But it feels like they were playing damage control while it was coming out anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so during uh, during late 1995, r- rumors started taking off that there might be a Sega Saturn add-on. Uh, called the Eclipse, which they publicly denied. This rumor stated that the Eclipse would either be an add-on that or that would go into the Saturn's expansion port or a standalone console. And considering how little support the 32X got for the Sega Genesis, uh, obviously it was scrapped. Uh, very little is known about Eclipse. Some people say they never even existed, but mm. I put it in here because it was in the notes. What do you think about the idea of having like a console add-on? I I, I do know there was a, a few rumors that there was going to be like a huge expansion slot for like Virtual Fighter Three on the Saturn to yeah. make it run. But what do you think about something like the Eclipse? You think that's too much? It it sounds like something maybe the tech guys would have thought up and pitched, and it would get very quickly shot down by the marketing and and CEO and you know the higher ups because they're like. Guys, we're not going to do a 32x part two so soon. You know, it's like they they clearly knew the the problems they were encountering at the time, and probably knew they did not want to go down that route again, for sure. But I mean, it's smart, I guess. It's it's, it's an interesting idea, but I don't think it would have done well at all. So. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I don't think a add-on was the answer. I think uh, you should have, I don't know, like, Saturn is what it is. I think they should have, I think the Saturn had a lot of issues, not just hardware, but, like, I I don't know. That's another discussion for another time. If you grew up in the 90s, you probably heard of competing console called the 3DO. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Which featured CDs and full motion video games. Uh, while the company failed with the 3DO, there was rumors that it was creating a much more powerful console being codenamed M2, which, don't confuse that with the company that does Sega Ages, oh. which garnered much, much discussion in the press. As early as 1996, the M2 was being fa- phased as an arcade uh, platform, which was sold to, uh, uh, what's this company's name? Matt, Matt Sushita? A.K.A. Panasonic, I guess now. Right. Uh, considering that Sega was just broke up with Lockheed Martin, they were in discussion to abandon the Model 3 platform entirely before it came out. They were going to cancel it. Hmm. Uh, and replace it with the M2. Uh, in February 1996, Sega ordered M2 development kits uh, in a deal to provide them system exclusivity with games. But after months of, uh, of talks, it died out. Uh, supposedly due to egos and poor performance of the M2. I guess it wasn't up to snuff. And then the Model 3 finally released. Hmm. Uh, But here's a juicy bit. Sega denied the M2 arcade rumors and said they were in talks with uh, Panasonic about exploring the possibilities of using their upcoming platform called DVD Disc. You probably heard about that. Yeah. DVDs, huh? 
which uh, the company was one of the founding members of the DVD form, which is the group that owns the DVD format, along with Sony. Sadly, Sega partnered with uh, Yamaha to create the GD-ROM as a standard for the Dreamcast, so all this was scrapped because Sega did not want to pay Sony a competing and the DVD form uh, royalties, Hmm. and it kept costs down per disc. So as the M2, the whole project got basically canned, and I think in in mid-1997, the company M2 was dead. Mm. All those years of research and stuff. But the company still made uh, disc drives for the GameCube, Wii, and Wii U. Um, In hindsight, the PS2 would sell a ton of consoles due to the fact that DVD actually took off as a format. Being seen as Sega saving money per unit and software, but not including... I mean, do you think it was the right move by Sega to like deny... The DVD, even though we did not know it was going to take off, we did not know it was going to be huge, and yeah. uh, they cost, they saved money basically. We would have to pay more for the Dreamcast outright. Right. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think at the time it was a smart move for Sega, just knowing what they knew then. Um, looking back, it's hard to say because I mean, do we as fans and did Sega as a company want to move into the the home entertainment vid- video player? You know, um, market, I don't think they did, because when you look at the Dreamcast, the real push was online play, um, connectivity, connect- chat. Yes, yes. Uh, it was about uh, uniting, uh, or, uh, yeah, it's connectivity, everything was. Yeah, and, and I, everything. I remember as a Sega fan at the time, when the PS2 was coming out, I'm like, I want to play video games, I don't watch. I don't want to watch movies. Like who? And I, I always look down at people who go, hey, are you getting the PS2? It plays movies. And I'm like, are you getting the PS2? to play games you know like and i remember at the time being you know like being like i'm gonna buy a dvd player that just plays dvds and play my games on you know here i am with a ps4 and that's my dedicated blu-ray player you know like i i don't i don't hate that it does but like when you have to raise okay so one thing i did i did like about having dvds was because you had four gigabytes eight gigabytes of storage right um right so that was one of the good things for gaming, but outside of that, as DVD playback, I I really didn't care. I, my parents like owned a standalone DVD player. Right. They paid a, a crap load for it, but uh, we had it. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like, okay, you have to sell me on games, like you said. For sure. Um, even on the Xbox, when I had the Xbox, I never bought the add-on for the DVD. Remember, you had to buy the little like wireless control, uh, wireless remote. Yep. Yep, and it was locked. (laughs) You had to put that little thing in for it to unlock DVD playback. Yeah, so I didn't care about it. So personally to me, I think it's silly now looking back on it considering we have like the the Switch Mm -hmm. that never never played DVDs ever in its whole life. Nintendo has never played. Yeah. Oh, I think maybe Wii U did it. I'm not sure. I didn't try it, but No. no, they didn't? Wow. I thought it had a DVD player. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. But um, I'm with Nintendo. I mean, you either may... I don't know. That's weird. Do I care if it has it? No, but I'd rather not pay more. So yeah. I'm with this Sega on this one. It's too bad the world wasn't with us. <laughs> now That's how it we're always finally, is. Yeah. Now we're finally getting to 1996. Great year. Great year. Everybody remember 1996? Oh, it was fantastic. Loved Weather it. was great. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. 
when uh, Nintendo finally released the 64-bit gaming machine, the Nintendo 64. Jesus, man, when they used to brag about power, uh, which ate into uh, Saturn's Japanese market share at the time. And this time, the PC market uh, place continued to grow with two graphic standards, Power VR by Video Logic and Voodoo Cards by 3DFX. Uh, this is back then when we... It was kind of like a Wild West for a while on in, in PC market. During this time, Sega approached both of these companies to work on the Saturn II. And up until 1997, both these companies were working on ideas for the successor of the Sega Saturn. Uh, Video Logic would work in Japan with a, with the given codename Durrell, which is one of the Virtual Fighters' boss characters. While 3DFX would work under the codename Black Belt in America. During 1997, Sega's oh god, Sega's. <laughs> oh my god, dude, are you serious? Can you even say this name, Barry? Shoichiro Irimajiri. That's a, that's a hard name, even for Japanese people, I would assume. Uh, assess the projects and hire Tetsuo Yamamoto, mm-hmm. a former IBM engineer, to work on Project Black Belt in America. Then, this guy is very important right here. Famous console creator Hideki Sato. This guy created the Master System, the Genesis. He like basically worked on everything Sega's done, like all the head consoles. Not Pico. I know. I know you're gonna get mad. Damn it. Uh, he when he heard the news that the IBM engineer was joining the, the American team, he went and joined the Japanese team, which basically should have told them, "Your project's dead, dude. You got you got the legend on the on the Japanese team. It's over." Right. Uh, while both teams worked separately. Uh, and the on the other side of the world, uh, their concepts were presented were very similar ideas. They were both having similar ideas to what they wanted the successor to be. Uh, what do you think about Sega? Basically, because okay, when the Saturn came out, the American side was like surprised; they didn't even know it was a thing. Uh, this time, they had a team in America and a team in Japan working with ideas. Do you think that was a good idea to like open up? I guess brand new. I guess possibilities for your sequel to your failure of a Saturn. Yeah, no, I, hate, I, I, I hate I hate calling the Saturn a failure because I really like it. No, I th- I think it was smart to to have these two teams working on it. You know, you get different ideas from different regions. Even when you're saying that the Hideki Sato team was kind of the winners just by default of having him on the team. Um, you know, it's did they know the other one was working on it? Uh, I think they knew that they they were each on each team, but the, here's the thing: oh, it, it's going to get really drama filled when we get down here because like the black belt team really felt like uh, Sega made false promises to them, and so did the because each one had their own video card manufacturers. Mm. Like I said, Voodoo Cards and uh, uh, I forgot the other one was called the Video Logic Company. They they were one of them was working on Dorel, and the other one was working with the black belt team. Right, so. Two of the leading PC card manufacturers were working on each team. And, uh, well, we'll get to it because one of them is more popular than the other, the 3DFX company. And they <laughs> did not like all this because, uh, well, you'll see. Um, now I lost my place. See what happens when I, uh, when I uh, start ranting. Um, unsurprisingly, Hideki Sato's Durrell Japanese team was the first team to uh, make a big public move by announcing that Hitachi would be making the CPU for the upcoming machine. Hitachi previously worked with Sega on the 32X and the Sega Saturn. 
The CPU for the Dreamcast would be the Hitachi SH4 processor, which uh, they codenamed White Belt, uh, which would work along the NEC, I don't even know, NEC, and Video Logics. Yeah. yeah, they're NEC, right? That's how they pronounce their that's thing. That's how I say it. Yeah, that's how I've always said it. Power, uh, well, they, they worked on their on their Power VR Series 2 graphical chips. That's the company that basically won out in the graphic chips. They codenamed it Guppy. Uh, on the other side of the world, the Black Belt team got Western commenters writing about the project. As of 1996, 1997, 3DFX became the leader of the PC video game market. Uh, Yamamoto opted to use 3DFX's Voodoo, Voodoo 2 and Voodoo Banshee graphics. Uh, they also tried Risk processors in IBM and by IBM and Motorola, but in the end, they also went with the Hitachi chip the, that they used in Durrell. So these two teams were separate, but they both came up with the same conclusion that they should use the Hitachi chip, the same one. <laughs> So that's actually kind of interesting. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's because it was the cheapest and most powerful you could get for your price at the time. Right. So uh, one of the main issues of the Sega Saturn... Okay, so now we're getting to how they tried to... Basically, you'll see. (laughs) Sega Saturn lacked 3D party support due to how hard it was to develop... During this time, Sega creators would go into interviews suggesting that the Sega Saturn was actually more powerful than Sony's machine if they harnessed the power of the console. It was a completely different story with the early concepts of the Dreamcast. Project Black Belt got an early showing to developers, and one of the things developers noted was the operating system and how easy it would be to develop for. During this time, Sega just suggested they weren't interested in raw processing power, but an easy-to-develop-for operating system the os was designed to quickly convert pc games black bell got the blessing of sega ceo c-o-o-o bernie stoller stolar mm-hmm. stoller yeah but it sounds better with stolar because it sounds like he's like a energy company yeah who basically sealed the sega saturn's doom when he told <laughs> press and at e3 1997 that it was in sega's future in late 1997 sega showed would-be developers such as Core Design, a converted demo of Scud Race. While Sega built its legacy on arcade boards, ports, Sega wanted a more diverse selection of games. This was one of the reasons Scud Race never got converted to Dreamcast. Hmm. Screw you, Sega. I want Scud Race. Um, Durrell Project moved forward. Uh, well, the Durrell Project moved forward as the primary development in 1997 with uh, informing uh, well they were informing uh, video game developers at the time to use P- uh, Intel 2 powered computers at 200 megahertz with power VR graphics as a foundation to create games for the console so are you surprised you're not surprised that Durrell took over and was actually the console that Sega was going to move forward for with no I'm not surprised I feel like they do this Sega's done this before where they kind of throw the American team's a bone, and they're like, you work on it too, and we'll decide. And then, you know, they're like, clearly they've decided the Japanese one are, are going to be moving forward. Because what would they do? Work with the, the Americans? Or would they just take on the whole American project and, and internalize it in Japan? Like, I don't and, think so. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, people got upset about this uh, in America, but this is the next section we're talking about. As early as 1998, we finally got a new codename for Durrell, which they called it Katana. At this point, EA dropped support for the Saturn, and the and the Western version of uh, X Men versus Street Fighter wasn't going to happen, uh, which led Sega uh, Sega Europe to basically say that the new console was coming out in 1999. Wow. Uh, Sato's Power VR based design won out, obviously, but conflicting reports came out during this time. At, like they, people were saying that the Black Belt version was a more powerful console, and other people were saying that the that uh, Durrell was more powerful, so nobody agreed. Uh, Yuji Naka was caught saying that, well, he actually said that Sonic Adventure to PC was impossible was impossible due to the Voodoo cards in the Katana were too powerful. So they're basically saying this is better than PC, and we see this all the time with consoles, right? Back then, where yeah. it was like popular to say like, oh, this is this is the best you could get. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, I think it's just him hyping up the console. You know how Yuji Naka was. He's a, he's a company man. Right. Um, but people in America got upset because they felt like Sega was abandoning 3DFX. you got to understand, 3DFX at this time was the leading video card company. Uh, this led to a ton of firings in Sega of America and puzzled EA, who was invested in the 3DFX company. This, along with poor Saturn sales, led EA to boycott the Dreamcast. Hmm. Uh, what's your feeling about... I didn't even know that about the 3DFX. I thought it was just the deal with the Saturn. They had a deal with the Saturn where yeah. they did exclusive games. <coughs> and uh, they thought that like, oh yeah, you screwed us over by announcing the Dreamcast. But it seems like they got even more angry when every move Sega was making was against EA at this point. Right. So what is your opinion of EA boycotting the Dreamcast? And I think they even had a thing where they talked about how they they wanted Sega to pay an, an extraordinary amount to like make exclusive games, but do you think that Sega was right to just do what they wanted and not deal with EA? I mean, in hindsight, they could have used EA on the console just to you know sell more more games. To be honest, I never really liked EA. Um, I thought the two K games were far superior. And I think they did have a pretty strong presence on the Dreamcast. I think there was a really strong um, NFL 2K uh, fandom there. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I know for sure a lot of uh, football players themselves, uh, people in the hip-hop community, uh, in the pop music community, they were all very into the Dreamcast and into the 2K games. And we've talked before about this. Like Even if I wasn't into those games, I loved seeing these people promoting it because you know it's like the hometown team you know what i mean like you you see some guy promoting it and you're like hey ice tea likes it <laughs> you know that makes me cool that by makes association me cool. yeah exactly i um, did like i did yeah. like that uh this may, meant that sega could like advertise their sports games with their other games like they had the the marketing push on in america where they were like Going inside the Dreamcast, and then when you went inside the Dreamcast, all their franchises were just yeah, all together. Yeah, and uh, you wouldn't have got that if EA was the one publishing those For games. Sure. You know, yeah. So uh, while it is not knowing if the Power VR two chip could match 3D FX's Voodoo two chip set in terms of performance, 
what is known is that uh, NEC. Uh, wait, I, I screwed up these whole freaking notes. Oh, that the reason that Sega went with Power VR two chipset was because mm-hmm. NEC, NEC was the one that was making them, and they partnered with Sega, so the Dreamcast was literally both their console, and they had a power, they had a plant where they could basically make them cheaper at a uh, at a higher rate, right? Mm-hmm. And during this time, Sega would also team up with uh, Microsoft. To uh, develop uh, the Windows CE, apparently they worked together for two years on this. Uh, and the idea behind Windows CE, I never knew this, by the way. When I was a kid, I was like, Microsoft worked on this console? Because, um, right. you know, they had the Windows CE on the console, right? Yeah, yeah. But really, it was just an OS that they made for the Dreamcast, so it would be easy for developers to port their Windows 95 and 98 games to consoles. So if you made games for Windows 98 and 95, Windows CE would be an easy way for you to make another game on Dreamcast. They also had their own OS, Sega did, called the Dragon. Hmm. Uh, they, but people said that the Dragon was actually easier to develop for and was faster and they let you tap into more power. So I guess it could have been worthless, but Sega wanted every developer to come in, even if they were not harnessing all the power, right? Right. Uh, Sega finally showed off the Sega Dreamcast at the Sega New Challenge Conference on May 21st, 1998. I almost said 88. Well, it would have been like Shenmue then, where he was playing (laughs) Dreamcast in the 80s, right? Or Saturday. Yeah, Everything shifted back. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) They intended to release the unit in Japan on November 1998. Rumor has it that the console was set to reveal on May 10th, but it would clash with Final Fantasy VIII's announcement, so oh. Sega, I guess, pushed it to the 21st, which, yeah. they sh- who cares? I would have been cares? like, yeah, Final Fantasy yes, VIII. square. <laughs> yeah. Garbage. <laughs> God, get out of here. <laughs> anyway, uh the Dreamcast's final name was uh, one of 5,000 ideas uh, brought forward by a company, Interbrand. Uh, according to Electronic Gamer Mo- Gaming Monthly, Pool, it was suggested that most U.S. readers liked the name Cantana the best with 37% of the votes. The Dreamcast with 15% of the votes. Black Belt last with 4% of the votes. And 30% of readers hated all of them. Uh, what, what do you, what's your... Uh, <laughs> What's your thoughts on the name Dreamcast and, like, you think it was a good name overall? Well, first off, Katana, like, you gotta imagine, like, what's that term, weeb? Weeb, Uh, yeah. I just, Uh, I feel like all of these, like, anime-loving Americans were like, well, the Katana, (laughs) you know, like, that's the best because that's what a samurai like me would use. Um, Of course, of course. what I love about the name the Dreamcast is it goes against all the other Sega naming conventions, which sound really hard driving, really epic, like uh, Mega Drive, Master System. Um, Dreamcast maybe had a little more in common with the name Saturn, just because it felt so disconnected from technology and and that hard driving sort of tech kind of sound. But it yeah. just I loved it because it sounded so soft and inviting. And the console was white, and even the commercials had that like floaty kind of uh, uh, I don't know ethereal or uh, like ghost like sort of feel to them. Even with the uh, it's thinking, 
Um, yes, yes. And uh, I love the the name. I've heard different takes on it. I've heard people say it's because it's like a, like a broadcast, but it's a dreamcast or something like that. Have you have you ever heard people explain the name? I I didn't know if Sega ever actually gave an official. I heard reason. I heard it was it was like catching dreams like a dream catcher right i heard that before uh i heard uh well the one you say kind of makes sense right because part of the dreamcast was connectivity yeah and uh casting is probably part of that when you cast live or whatever so right. i could see stuff like that for sure yeah hmm. but uh i don't know i've never heard the the explanation for the name and i don't know I do know that Orange Man Good Luck or whatever. That's why the lo- lo- logo is orange, right? Is that, oh, is that the well, report? Oh, we could get into the logos, but I might do that <laughs> in a different video. Um, oh, now I lost my place again. All right. Uh, the console got reintroduced to the gaming public during E3 1998 with Sega of American President Bernie Stol- <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders uh, showing off the prototype of the Dreamcast in red. The prototype was in red when he first showed it. They promised an autumn 1999 release date with 20 to 30 launch games. No games were shown at E3 this year, but some tech demos didn't make the rounds. Sadly, press were forbidden to take photos and discuss what they showed. Here's a picture of uh, Bernie right here. Um, what do you think about the red drink early Dreamcast without any Sega fonts or logos on it? it looking back, it looks like a uh, like a fan painted a, a Dreamcast. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I they also think had the, the round button. I don't like that. It doesn't look right. It just seems off because I love how the the controller and the console look the same. Like I think that's yeah. really cool. Um, it's fine. I mean, I wouldn't. Have, I would have bought a red Dreamcast, no question. But, but they they were really thinking at this time. What color should we do it? And like I've seen this one. And I've seen another one that was I think yellow. That Yuji Naka prototype right. that he was showing off. Um, I I think white was the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see it, people it, on online who are like hardcore. Like it had to be black. Sega makes black consoles. Black is beautiful. But um, I mean, I'm holding a Dreamcast here. This is actually just a shell. It's empty. Uh, it's actually one of my few shells I have. There's, it's magic on the inside, but, um, but you look at the design of it and there's so many little elements that would just have gotten lost if this was a dark color, you know, like, and I have the Sega sports one, you look at it and everything's black. Like the, the buttons don't stand out. The little triangle doesn't stand out. The little like dots. I love the little dots. They're unnecessary, but they're just so cool. And yeah. It just, it looks so nice. Nice and white. Mine's kind of yellowing, but it actually looks pretty good here. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could go on and on about the, like, the design of the Dreamcast. I think it's just, look at that, look at that curve. It's so beautiful. It's, it's a very, very beautiful console. I think that's, uh, it's cute, it's small, it's, uh, I don't know, man. I think probably Sega's best design console. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. I, I I guess people like when I saw the PS2, the the early model. I was like, "What is this? Is ugly as shit. Huge, uh, very like it kind of looked like a tombstone." To be honest, uh, I do think that their sequel, their mini, their uh, mm-hmm. when they re released it was a lot better. But yeah, 
Um, the Dreamcast had had launch issues. Oh my god, are you surprised? No. <clears throat> Due to a lack of power VR chips, uh, they had apparently they had a high failure rate in the manufacturing process. More th- more than half of the limited stock was already uh, sold in pre-order in Japan, though. But the co- uh, the console did launch in Japan on November twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four, for the price of twenty nine thousand Japanese yen. Um, all available units sold out day one. The Japanese the Japanese launch only included four games: Godzilla Generations, July, Pin Pin, Tricelion, Tricelion, mm-hmm. uh, Virtual Fighter Three TB. Um, the uh, the only title that actually sold well, unsurprisingly, was uh, Virtual Fighter Three TB. Uh, according to reports, Sega could have sold an additional three hundred thousand units if they had proper stock. Hmm. Um, that's, that's, I would consider that a successful launch. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you think of the selection of games in Sega Japan? Because we got like a fucking, we, 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 we lucked out in America for sure. Yeah, no, no, Sega Japan's launch was abysmal. Um, I've been playing and collecting Dreamcast, talking about it for years. Um, but I've been told time and time again from people, avoid Godzilla Generations I don't even. I haven't even heard of July. I forgot about that game. Pen Pen Tri Tri Salon. Like, try it. You can get it for cheap. It's not that great. And Virtual Fighter Three TB. I always hear is like, not that great. Of Pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, pin, none of these. Pin, none of these are great. None of them are good. Pen uh, Pen Pen is one of those games that like launched everywhere because it's going to be in America too. But like, I remember first seeing that game and I'm like, what is this crap? Yeah, I remember my, my friend called me over. He's like, "I got we got a couple other games. Why do you get this? Because it was super cheap. Yeah, it, it like dropped down so fast. So if you had a Dreamcast, a couple months later, you could have not afford not to have this game. <coughs> if you were looking for new games to play, uh, the next major release was in the U.S. It yes. came out. Guess when? September 9, nineteen ninety nine. Nine. <coughs> they included. Nine, nine. 19 titles to buy day one. Maybe I miscounted this, but I'm pretty sure it's 19. Many. Uh, including uh, Eurowing, Air Force Delta, Blue Sting, Cart Flag to Flag, Expendable, The House of the Dead 2, Hydro Thunder, Monaco, Grand Prix, Mortal Kombat Gold, NFL 2K, NFL Blitz 2000, uh, Pin Pin again. Power Stone, Ready to Rumble Boxing, Sonic Adventure, Soul Calibur, TNN Motorsports, Hardcore Heat, Tokyo Extreme Racer, and Trick Style. Uh, do you remember being hyped? I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, you remember being hyped. Fuck that yeah, question. man. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I, I was going to say, which like, of these games did you play and which ones are you think are like top tier on here? Because, I mean, uh, a lot of them are pretty damn great. A lot of these are really great. Some of them are forgettable, but I will say yeah. every single one of these were incredibly smart launch titles because you look at this and you just take these, they cover every single genre at the time, I think. And some of them are still, you know, disputed to be like the best games in their respective genres by some people. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's just I guess just like run through here real quick. I think Arrow Wings and Air Force Delta they're fine. I have both of them. But if you like com- like flight combat, they're good. 
Blue Stinger, it's an interesting adventure game. Um, if you like the Resident Evil games, things like that, it's worth checking out. It's got some inter- some voice acting, you know, some interesting stuff, but it's fun. Um, flag to Flag, if you're a fan of The Sopranos, uh, AJ plays this on one episode, and Tony goes, hey, turn that thing off. Um, so, you know, you got that. Uh, Expendable. Expendable, isn't that like a shoot-em-up? Like a 3D shoot-em-up? I, th- I never played it. I don't yeah. remember. I haven't, I bought, so I can't... I bought a lot of these games, maybe played them for like 20 minutes, uh, like late, it, late, late, like, you know, like maybe a couple years ago, but um, Expendable's fine. House Dead 2 is awesome. Hydro yeah, Thunder very... is awesome, but it's a real shame that uh, uh, they screwed up all of the Hydro Thunder and um, I'm trying to think what else what it was. Mortal Kombat Gold. Midway screwed up all their games. Remember that? You had yeah, to you had, a, you had yeah. to rebuy them or send them back or something? Yeah, and they the way to tell them is the one on the label with the hot new sticker. It's like a green sticker that's printed on. The problem let is, me, is... Let me guess, those are rare now. They're not rare, but the problem oh. is, is now in the used game market, people <laughs> will, you know, like, they might have a disc and then they'll just pop it into whatever case they have. So unless this is... You can, like, take a look at the disc and figure out you're getting the right one. I unfortunately bought Hydro Thunder and had the screwed up disc where it would like goof up on me. Um, and I had that for years. Uh, same with um, Ready to Rumble uh, Boxing, unfortunately. But um, I won't stay my welcome here. But Monaco Grand Prix is fine. Mortal Kombat Gold's cool. NFL 2K is awesome. NFL Blitz 2000 is kind of unnecessary because of 2K. Pen Pen is stupid, but if you like cutesy crap, that's fine. Power Stone's awesome. Ready Rumble Two or Ready Rumble One is awesome. Sonic Adventure is awesome. Soul Calibur is must own. TNN Motorsports, Hardcore Heat, who cares? Tokyo Extreme Racers, cool, and Trick Style is pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember Blue Stinger. <laughs> I remember a bunch of my friends growing up, like when in school, when we were mm-hmm. like trying to run the mile or whatever. And we uh, we were talking <laughs> during it. Um, Everybody's like, you gotta play Blue Stinger, man. It's so good, man. So good. And then uh, I rented it and I I hated it. But I think it's because I played Code Veronica at the time already. Yeah. And going back to this, it's like, oh my god, Capcom just like knocked it out of the park with Code Veronica. Right. Yeah. So to me, it's it's like, oh yeah, I can't go back to this. Yeah. And at the time of launch, I only played NFL 2K, which I rented because. Even not being a sports guy, I wanted to see the graphics. Uh, I bought this the console with Sonic Adventure. <laughs> I got Power Stone soon after. And a lot of my purchases were based on that demo disc. So, you know, I didn't get ready to rumble until much later. But I played the demo a lot. Because yeah, me too. <laughs> the demo kind of gives you everything you get from the retail game. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's not... I mean, they had the training mode or some crap. But, like, yeah. when, you play, when you played it... Like you, what do you want to do? You and your friends want to sit in your living room and knock each other out. The demo was good enough for that. You can only pick one or two characters, but right, it was right. fun enough where I was like, I, I've had enough of this game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, House of the Dead Two is oh my god, I love that game. It's yeah. such a great game. It's so gory. Even the new uh, Scarlet Dawn isn't that gory. So uh, yeah, play that game. Um. Yeah, the European launch. Can we all can we all play Sad Sounds right here? Because it's yeah. not the worst launch, but it's it's puzzling because it came out after September, right? From yeah. uh, we we got it first, and then they got it in October fourteenth, nineteen ninety nine, and they only had ten titles, including Blue Stinger, Dynamite Cop, Expandable, 
uh, Incoming, Pin Pin, uh, uh, which was actually just called Pin Pin in, in Europe. Sega Rally Championship 2, Sega Bass Fishing, Sonic Adventure, Toy Commander, which is awesome, uh, Virtual Fighter 3 TB. Um, what is your, uh, why didn't we get 3 TB? What? what? Uh, yeah, what is your, uh, we, I don't, didn't we? I mean, I mean, let me relook. I don't uh, think we did. Maybe it was a launch window title. I, but, yeah, maybe it was. I don't see it here. Um, I'm pretty thing. sure Sega probably like held it back because they were like, "Oh, can they really compete with Power Stone and all these other games? We should probably Maybe. hold it back for a bit." Yeah, I, I think. Okay, first off, like no offense to our our European, European? listeners, but yeah, like October fourteenth is such an arbitrary, forgettable date. And I know sometimes I'm on Twitter, and out of nowhere, mid October, I'll see people going, "Hey, oi, big ups to the Dreamcast Massive," you know, and and it'll oh, be like. Man. I'll be like, what are you talking? Oh, yeah, you got the thing, like, third, and the date's forgettable, and you only had ten games. And nothing against them. But, you know, it's like... They're great people. It's just... It's kind of forgettable. You're talking about the Dreamcast Junkyard, right? Those those people? Yeah, they talk about blue swirls all the time. I'm sick of it. What is that? What is that? This blue swirl. I've been hearing about it on the internet. What is it? But I will say, Toy Commander is excellent and oh, it's yeah. cool it's cool that they got dynamite cop at launch cuz that's a really great game too it is um yeah but like it's and i mean we could do a whole show about the blue swirl um we should we we should do a whole documentary 10 hour documentary <laughs> about the blue swirl yeah but I, I i will say and this is like a little aside there's been a big resurgence of like dreamcast history we've had a lot of books there's some on my shelf some are incoming Every single time, though, it's a Brit, you know, and yeah, they're yeah. they're always bringing their views of the Dreamcast, and it's interesting to me. But the European Dreamcast launch and like the whole marketing and everything behind it is the third most interesting to me. Like, well, no offense, I this, but like the I feel Japanese like I've heard... one was strange. Like they had that yeah. guy with the nerdy glasses. That's strange. Uh, we had the. Yeah. We had a few of them, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I just feel like the the story of the Japanese one has not been told properly in the West. The American one, I feel, we all feel like we know it, but no one's really encapsulated it into a book or a documentary. But then all these Brits are making these documentaries and these books, and every single time they use the blue swirl and they talk about their games, and I'm I'm so interested in their experience, but it's always used like as as the the first thing they talk about and the first thing you see. And I'm like, you guys are like third. So no offense. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to talk down on them, but my favorite color has always been orange my whole life. Mm. And I I remember when I saw the swirl and it was orange, I was like, this console is meant for me, man. I don't know, man. (laughs) So if I was European, it wouldn't be made for me. I would be a PlayStation 2 fan. So, and I'm Thank gonna you. keep I'm gonna keep this very brief about the swirl too. There's been going people have been going around online saying there's the blue swirl, the red swirl, and the orange swirl. The orange swirl. Th- there's yeah. only two swirls. There's the blue swirl and there's an orangey red swirl. And you know, I know people they look at company colors and they go, Oh, Target's red, CVS is red, <laughs> Walgreens is red. But these all staples is red. They're all different kind of reds. And when you look at the Dreamcast, the Dreamcast is actually an orange with kind of a red shift, or you could argue a red with an orange shift, depending on how you view color. And when you look at the Dreamcast American console, and you look at the Japanese console, 
this is the same color on the on the lid, and the startup orange is the same. I even screen I, I uh, captured footage of a Dreamcast from uh, America and Japan, and I used a little Photoshop eyedropper and checked. It's the same color. The only yeah. times the only times that you're going to be seeing like color differentiation is because of printing issues with like magazines or. Or, or third parties who look at it and they see red, so they use red, and they're not actually following company guidelines. Um, I have heard people say that, that Sega of America used red for certain things, whereas Japan used orange. And there are cases of that, but every time it's like on maybe some print ad used a few times, or it's um, the Japanese uh, packaging uses more of an orange. However, if you look at it, the swirl is white. On, on orange. It's not an orange swirl. It's a white swirl. So if anything, it's orangish-red in America, blue in Europe, and like white and orangish-red, the same one as America. And I could get into it more, but yeah, it's something that really, really bothers me. And, I, and I'm really... And I'm really, I was going to say, I'm really a scared. I'm really a scared <laughs> that, that coming up on this 20th anniversary... The, the official Sega accounts are going to have people going, hey, vote your favorite color, swirl, red, orange, or blue. And I'm like, no, don't perpetuate the myth. Don't. Okay. The lie. Let's breathe. Let's breathe. We I should do, I'm going to do an InfoWars style video series where I'm like. Were you just like screaming? Yeah. Uh, I'm done. Innovative features. Let's move on to innovative features. We're going to be talking okay. about swirls all day and then people in the audience are going to be like. Damn, Barry really, really, really likes the logo. They like when I do that. They love it. Uh, so the Dreamcast brought innovative features. I think I okay. So a lot of people think that like the Sega, the Sega Master System, the Sega Genesis, the Sega Saturn ha- gave Sega this whole like they're on the cutting edge of everything. To me, I think it was the Dreamcast. I think the Dreamcast did crazy things that just like blew everybody's mind. Even if they didn't buy the console, but they were blowing away, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I put a list of some of them. A built-in online modem, which gave everybody online access and to online gaming. Um, before this, there was some online add-ons you could buy, but the main feature was that everybody had it, right? 10 million people bought the Dreamcast, 10 million people had the ability to go online. That's insane. As we know now, like... You know, connect. It's cool that they sold twenty million, but why would you make a game when you could make games for eighty million people that bought the Xbox One, right? Yeah, or the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. So the idea that every single one of them had the ability was huge at the time. Um, dude, so tell us some of your like, I guess, early online gaming memories and like, do did you think at this time that this was a big innovative feature, or did you just go like, oh? it's I guess that's something. No, absolutely. I thought it was a huge innovative t- feature. I used my Dreamcast as like a dedicated like light PC in my room Same. like for web browsing, Same. viewing videos, downloading things cuz you got to remember like internet speeds on the Dreamcast were what you were getting on your computer. The only difference was, you know, you couldn't really save files. You couldn't you couldn't like do any work or anything, but it was great if you wanted to read the news on websites and um here's a little secret for you guys. Oh, God. Your parents can't check the history, so you can actually view the porn on your Dreamcast, and no one ever knew you looked at that you were looking at boobs. So that was my... Oh, shit. That's another secret I think a lot of, a lot of people don't want to talk about, but they should. 
Yeah, me and my friends would stay up all night looking at boobies and butts. <laughs> but um, um, no, it was but... so lame though because you had to go to these free sites. That, no video, obviously, or like really bad video. I it, remember, it was it was pretty dodgy. I remember though there were sites that played videos and they would promote that they worked on the Dreamcast. You would search. Wow. Dream, you would search Dreamcast porn site. And I'm you whispering. Have been friends like my, back then. I'm whispering. Like <laughs> Your mom's mom. in the room or something. But you She's would like, whisper, guys. POS, POS, parent over shoulder. Um, but <laughs> you would visit it, and it would say like compatible with, uh, you know, uh, PDAs and your Dreamcast or something like that. Um, yeah. But no, I I loved the online. I played Fantasy Star Online a ton. I I think I dabbled in all the other ones. I wish I played you know Choo Choo Rocket and Alien Front Online more. I probably only logged like five hours or so on some of those uh online games but the fact that i've tried them all means a lot to me um i downloaded a lot of uh funny and dirty images for uh jet set radio jet set radio yep yeah yep, yep. Yeah. um i i do believe was tub girl a thing at the time because i know no nah, my... <laughs> i don't think so i think there was like random like gross gore things i remember yeah that. there were like there were some like nasty pictures and people would put them in jet set radio and like scare their cousin or something uh, like, hey play I, this new sega game i do remember like planet web and you could like download saves that blew my mind because like yeah having people having people over you're like hey let's play marvelous capcom 2 and then you're like oh, i erased my save file now we have to sit here and wait for hours so that oh yeah no. gonna lock. and like you've just brought up planet web planet web and uh, Buyaka are two sites mm-hmm. that i would use constantly and like i feel as nostalgic and for them as you know people probably do now about like youtubers or you know like their favorite news websites like segabits.com or something like that but you know it's like <laughs> i just nice i plug. look back at i look back at those and i'm like like you just brought them up and that brings such fond memories of browsing the new downloads you know the new save files and stuff it was so cool and i think that, that was... actually yeah yeah, I was gonna say that like when I did that, I was I was mind blown. I remember my cousins were like, "You you could just download save files from the internet." I'm like, "Yeah," and we would, so all of my cousins would do is go and like pick a game that I had in the library, and they would like look for a save file at a certain point so they could experience that part of the game. That was yeah. crazy cool. Um, so I like that. I also like I also spent a lot of time with my friends in the like we would go to my friend's house who had the Dreamcast at his house. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we would uh, go in IRC rooms because Sega had IRC rooms back then, and we would just chat with people around the world. It was really cool. Sometimes we would troll. Um, I think this is something people forget on Twitter where they get offended. They're like, "This person's cursing me out." They gotta forget that like when I was thirteen when this when this came out. I was just trolling people on the internet. Like, that's what you did as a kid. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a sense of, like, oh, these people are offended. No, you just uh, went in there and with your friends, eating junk food, uh, drinking soda, uh, barely watched uh, South Park, the movie. So you're, like, potty mouth to the maximum. <laughs> so I had a great memories with the Dreamcast. The online modem was ridiculous. It was, like, my first home computer internet access really Mm -hmm. because like i didn't have my parents couldn't afford a computer until like i don't know i bought one when i graduated high school so Mm -hmm. like i I, this is the first time i could ever uh you know get online so that's pretty good and the next one is the virtual memory unit the vmu which was the literally 
the last cycle of memory cards because after this we got the hard drives with the Xbox and then Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one had a uh, basically a, a, a screen, a black and white screen with D uh, pad and buttons, which I thought was crazy at the time, which allowed players and you could connect them and and you could play against other people. The, the mini games or swap files, mm-hmm. another connectivity thing, right? This is the whole thing with the Dreamcast. It was about connecting your you with other people. So tell me a little bit about your VMU uh, history and like what's your thoughts on the VMU overall, I guess. Um, my VMU history, I... So when I got my Dreamcast, I got Sonic Adventure with it and I started playing and then I realized and we've talked about this, I think when we did the, the Sega Talk Sonic Adventure episode... I couldn't save my game, and I was so confused, and then I realized, oh, I have to buy a thing to save? Doesn't it have it internally, like with a battery? Uh, But nope, it should have had... I think, looking back, they really should have done, like, 40 blocks built in. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's kind of weird. There's no reason they couldn't have done that. And it's kind of weird because the Saturn had that, so when I got it, I was... Like, okay, when I got the Saturn, I was confused because it was like... You go from uh, having a Genesis and a Super Nintendo that just saves on cartridge. Yeah. And then you get a, a, a Sega Saturn, which has uh, built-in memory, which you have to use a battery. Right. And then you get a Dreamcast, and now it has a VMU, which is a totally different thing. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, go on. And it was just, it was like, it was weird because looking at them now, like when your VMU runs out of battery... It still saves your game, so there was no reason they couldn't put blocks uh, in into the Dreamcast itself. But I think they wanted to sell those VMUs. But yeah, uh, yeah, when I finally got it, I was saving. I was swapping files with friends at school. I was doing everything that Sega promoted and told us to do, and it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Um, I met a guy. Literally, we became friends because uh, he was coming to school, and he would always brag that his dad was like. His parents were divorced, and his dad was always buying them stuff. And uh, he pulled out his keys one time to show everybody, like the group of friends, like, "Look, man, I got a, my my dad lets me drive his car." And then when he pulled out his keys, which were not car keys, they were just house keys, by the way. <laughs> he had a, a BMU attached to it because you know, in the BMU on the bottom, it has a little hook. Yeah. And he had it hooked up like that, and I was like, "Wait, you have a Dreamcast?" And like. During this, like, time, like, the Dreamcast was really kind of newer and not that many people at that school had it. Mm-hmm. So we would always swap games. We would always talk about it. He would have all the latest games. So his dad did buy him a lot of stuff, obviously. And I, mm-hmm. and him having the VMU, uh, that really, uh, well, basically made me a, a friend with a guy that had, like, a ton of games and uh, <laughs> let me explore a bunch of genres of games I probably wouldn't have. If it wasn't for the VMU. Yeah, yeah. Uh, console to handheld link. This is a more of a minor one. I did never use this, but I, I did play the Neo Geo Pocket. So basically, this allowed you to play, connect the Dreamcast to the Neo Geo Pocket with a special link to share content. This idea was later used by Nintendo with the GameCube, which would link to the GBA. Both of them didn't really have that much content, but the Nintendo GameCube link to the GBA had more content mm-hmm. uh, overall. But uh, I, I think this is just a, uh, a thing that SNK probably p- pitched to, Nint- uh, to Sega, and Sega's like, oh, all right, we'll, we'll sell you the cable thing. Why not? Yeah, yeah. 
<coughs> so, you ever played the Neo Geo Pocket, and do you ever remember this being a thing? I've played a Neo Geo Pocket Color. It's still on my to-get list. I feel like every time I pass it up, it's because I don't want to drop, like, 80 bucks. Um, yeah. Which seems to be, like, the going rate. They have not really gone down, and they haven't really gone up. Um, but there's just so few games on it, and... The, the link cables, I actually, I went to Video Games New York about 10 years ago, and they had tons of them. And now I guess they're kind of expensive, and I kind of wish I got one then, even though I didn't have a Neo Geo Pocket, because they were like 20 bucks each, new in box. Um, I don't know how much they are now, but they're definitely not 10, 10 or 20 bucks. Uh, definitely. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, not, yeah, nah. Some uh, I never heard about the Neo Geo Pocket like growing up. Well, well, growing up, I the only reason I heard about it was because someone in the bus had it, and they tried to they sold me that and the Game Boy Color for like fifty bucks. Hmm. So technically, I uh, won out the deal because they're worth more now. Yeah, and so they sold them to me uh, both, and I was like, I've never heard of this. And then I started like, play, he only had one game. It was like I think it was the Metal Slug one. Um. And I really liked it because I liked Metal Slug in the arcades, so that's the reason I, I wanted it. But uh, yeah, I never I never used the link cable. I don't even know what you would use it for. I, I'm assuming the Sonic game that was on it. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I think uh, King of Fighters and Cool Cool Tune um, and some Japanese only titles used it. So nothing so, too amazing. And it just I think it just unlocked content. It was a cool idea, but you had the VMU already, so yeah. Not really needed. Um, another one is HD gaming, which this is kind of rough depending on what your definition of HD is. Some people say 720p and up, but uh, the Dreamcast supported 480p, which is obviously way crisper than just doing your composite cables mm-hmm. uh, because it supported VGA. It supported VGA. Very few games did not not support it. So most games supported it, at least mm-hmm. from what I've gathered. Um, for me, I used it after, like, I never knew this was a thing when I had the Dreamcast. I only played it on a regular TV and I didn't really think much about it. Yeah. But then my friend was, uh, one of my friends was like, had it and I, it looked way better. Yeah. That convinced me I needed a VGA adapter. I bought one. I don't regret it. I wish uh, more game, all games supported it. Uh, what's your thing on VGA? I think it's the only, the best way to play. Yeah, no, I, I got my... Um... HDTV, it's a, it was a, well, it still is, I still have it. It's a 42-inch 720p plasma um, from Panasonic. I think I got it in 2000, man, it's hard to say, 20, 2010, maybe, 2011, I don't know. But that's, and at the, around the same time, you know, Dreamcast Junkyard, I was, I was writing for them, uh, doing stuff for them. And I was learning about the VGA box, so I, I did pick one up. Um, I had to get an HD, VGA to HDMI adapter, which required its own power source, so I had two things hooked up that I had to have both of them plugged in to work. Um, but it looked beautiful, and I would use it for streams, and I would use it, uh, you know, just whenever. And I would actually, I wouldn't stretch the game, but I would use that, um, I don't know if your TV has this mode, but it stretches just the sides, and it keeps everything oh. else normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would do that, and people, sometimes I would do streams and people would get upset with me, but I'm like, the, the center part's fine. Like, it's not, 
Like, I know I'm a purist, too, when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I wanted to fill my screen, and I didn't want to crop it or stretch it, so that was, like, the next best thing. And that's the only thing I wrote down for innovative features. Is there something you think I'm missing right here? I think this is would do it, right? The internet, the VMU, the, the HD gaming is probably the biggest things, right? Yeah, I mean, just looking at the one I'm holding, like, you know, there's those little ports on the bottom that didn't really get used much. Um, and we'll talk about what yeah. they might have been used for right now. And concepts... This is actually the most interesting bit because these are concepts that never made it. But uh, the first one was a wireless controller. The Dreamcast was supposed to launch with a wireless controller. Uh, Sato talked about it before that he really wanted a wireless controller, but they couldn't get the VMU to work on it. So that got scrapped. Uh, Dreamcast DVD player, due to PS2's DVD feature taking off, Sega had an accessory add-on idea to combat the hype. Sega always said that one day the Dreamcast would play DVD, which is false, never did. Which led them to showing off uh, this DVD unit called the Dreamcast DVD player. Some people rumored that it was just a shell and that Sega never provided any information on it and it never showed up again. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Like, you think that Sega actually had a plan for this? Um, or do you well, think that it's all BS? I remember we talked when we interviewed the official Dreamcast <laughs> magazine people. We were like, did you ever see this thing working? They said, nope, they just saw it sitting out and they were told that it was something that was going to happen so i don't think there was ever a working one um the idea of that accessory though i mean it could work on the bottom but then you have two disk drives um which is kind of silly and we'll get into the the zip drive one soon um i also am reminded of the um what was it the xbox 360 had an hd dvd add-on right yeah it did yeah it was pretty much a massive failure yeah, it was really ugly looking. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't do that. I think I would have preferred it if they released a DVD player Dreamcast, but by that point it was so late in the lifespan that it would have been a mistake. For sure. I agree with that. Um, the next one we're talking about is the Zip Drive. Uh, mm. Sega touted an unreleased add-on for the Dreamcast that would allow people to store data on a Zip Drive, which was supposed to be the like uh, format to overtake... The floppy disk on PC. Mm-hmm. This would allow users to save online data, like new maps for Quake, as an example, on a zip drive, which would offer 100 MB of storage. Holy crap, what do you do with that much storage? According to reports, the zip drive made it to the late stages of development and would have cost $200 USD retail and was meant to come out third, the third quarter of 2000. Personally, to me... I'm glad they canceled this because yeah. um, 200 bucks for a zip drive. And you got to understand, at this point, in 1999, zip drive was already kind of dead. Like, I remember, like, I never even heard of zip drive until when I took a computer class and they talked about obscure technologies and they brought it out. And I'm like, ugh, why? Mm. What do you think? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if we had a zip drive at home, but I remember using zip disks for things. Uh, but the idea, I guess what I don't like about this idea is that, and I'm kind of looking at my, I, behind me I have this piano, it's a Roland XP60, it has a disk drive on it, and yeah. the disk drive, it, it uses all these different functions that are great for the piano, but just in terms of storage, one disk is enough, one little floppy disk, it's not even a zip disk, 
you put it in there, and that's more than enough to save save thousands of um, songs because it's just using uh, sequencer data. And so when you're yeah. looking at this, like a hundred megabytes of storage, that's basically all you need. There's no need to flop them, switch them out. It it's kind of it's stupid on a few levels. One, it makes the VMU unnecessary, and wouldn't they want to sell VMUs? Two. Uh, like I said, one disc and you're done. Like you're probably not going to be ejecting that disc anytime soon because the Dreamcast has internet, so you're not going to be needing to go onto your computer to put saves. And that thing's going to have all the saves you're ever going to want. Like I don't know how many, how many, how much storage space does a, a VMU have? Do you know off the top of your head? <laughs> no, I don't. It wasn't like five megabytes. Was it really? I have no idea. I don't know. I just know that the, it had blocks. That's it. Right, it had 200 blocks. And so, okay, uh, 20, 28 kilobytes? Is that what I'm seeing? Dang, um, that's small. Yeah, 56 blocks. Oh, okay, so 100 kilobytes is 200 blocks. So, you know, I'm not going to do the math now, but you look at that. So 100 like, megabyte. How many kilobytes are in a megabyte? A thousand, thousand now? I right? would assume so, or around there. Let's do some sloppy math. So 100 times a thousand that's like having a hundred thousand kilobytes right and but then you had you also had to pay two hundred dollars like that's right. a, that's how much it cost in launch the console. this is like having a thousand vmus on one disc and i i have over 200 dreamcast games each one has a save file and i probably have 10 or 15 vmus and i'm good so, so you, you you want a zip drive? I do. I would need a zip drive, but anyway, a stupid idea. Next, this is the one. This is the one I actually really liked at the time uh, yeah. when it was being hyped. The BMU MP3 player. Uh, the BMU MP3 music player was showing off at Tokyo Game Show 2000. That would allow you to hook up your uh, controller, uh, basically like a BMU, and it had a uh, headphone jack. Uh, and they would allow you to store up to 64 megabytes of music, which is kind of a little bit in today's standards. Mm-hmm. The suggested retail would have been under 100 USD. According to IGNDC, Sega was working with MP3.com store to uh, be their partner for this. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it never happened. I wonder why it never happened. Maybe it just didn't work as expected. But uh, would you have rocked a, uh, a VMU MP3 player? Oh, absolutely. I remember reading about this, and I was like, this is going to be my first MP3 player. That's awesome. It's going to work with my Dreamcast. It's going to play games. And this was when I was like, now I can truly carry my VMU around and have like a use for it. I thought it was so cool. Yeah, and not only that, it has 64 megabytes of memory, which would make it the biggest VMU that you could buy. Yeah, so that makes that the disk unnecessary. For sure. Yeah, uh, and the last one that, or at least the last major accessory that never made it, was Swatch Access for Dreamcast. I don't know much about this. I know you talk about this a lot more than I do. So if I screw something up, you can let me know. It was mm-hmm. a planned addition to the Dreamcast to interface with Swatch Access watches, a series of watches with one or two types of data chips inside them. One was Ski Data, which would allow you to get info from ski resorts, and another <laughs> chip. And another one was to, like, pay for things. I guess some of the examples they used was drinks, public transport, museum passes. And uh, an example what that they were working on was uh, buying movie tickets and using your watch as a uh, confer- confirmation. That's cool. The thing, 
the thing that's interesting about this is this is basically what we use our phones for now, right? Yep. yep. Sega uh, had this idea back in nineteen two thousand. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's basically Apple Wallet, but um, mm-hmm. it's really Sega cool. Version. And I, and I, I think the MP3 player combined with this would have been really awesome. I loved. I actually really loved the direction Sega were starting to head right before the demise of the Dreamcast because I I liked how they were infusing. They were infusing the Dreamcast into your day-to-day life, but... in Like a, a lifestyle. Sm- like a lifestyle, but they were doing it smartly. Like, with the PlayStation 2, they were just straight up, It plays movies. Hey, Sony co- makes some movies. Like, that was it. You know, there was yeah. very little else there. But with the Dreamcast, they're like, well, it's connective, it has online. So they were looking at things like, you know, MP3 music and, and going to movies. Like, you don't need to put a DVD player in here... Because the Dreamcast is not a movie machine, it's a video game and and you know like interconnectivity internet device, and so I, I think that was really smart of them. I don't know if it would have been a, a very lucrative direction to go, but like I would have been all in. Like I would have been one of those five guys along with you know you you me and like three other people would have been like living this lifestyle and we would look back and be like man it was great i had my music i had my my movie tickets on my phone from my dreamcast it was great you know but it's 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 funny because like apple literally like maybe a decade after this or even more like even like google pay or whatever samsung pay yeah it's barely gaining traction now right like not everybody's yeah. using it but Back then, Sega already had the idea for this, like, ridiculously, like, 20 years ago. So it's like, okay. It's, like, so far ahead of the curve. And how much money did the iPod make for Apple? That's the thing where it's, like, Mm could have had that money, but it didn't work out because of the Dreamcast. Because in the end of the day, all this was going to be tied to a Sega console. Like, they could have expanded it and made a PC, too. Mm -hmm. Or Apple, uh, and then, like, beat Apple to the punch, but, uh, you know, could've, should've, would've, you know. Didn't. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about the sad ending to this tale. Yes, I will you... play, I will, I will, yeah, pl- play the sad role of talking about the demise of the Dreamcast. So, on January 30th, 2001, Sega announced an end for the hard care- hardware, and they gave the date of March 31st, 2001, as being when they would cease production of the Dreamcast. And, you know, uh, when you hear about these dates, a lot of people think January 30th was the death of the Dreamcast, March 31st was the death of the Dreamcast. Really, these dates are kind of arbitrary to consumers. They don't mean much. It was really just time to the company's financial report for 2000, Mm. 2001. So they were tying the losses on the console to that financial year. Um, Beyond January 30th, 2001, Sega were still making consoles and releasing games. Beyond March 31st, they were still selling consoles and they were still releasing games. There was still... I mean, I remember at the time they were saying, there's still games to come. We're not totally, you know, giving up. But come 2002, you better be looking elsewhere because you're not going to be kidding much. Um, uh, And, you know, this was a surprise to us. I learned about it um, on Tech TV, I think. Adam Sessler wow. breaking the news. My dad was like, "Did you, I think my dad might have heard something during the day in the newspaper or by, from someone saying, did you hear something about Dreamcast like ending? And I'm like, what? And I turned on Tech TV and Adam Sessler was talking about it. And uh, I kind of like 
didn't like him after that because he broke the news to me. And the funny Freaky thing bastard. is, the funny thing is, is we saw him, unbeknownst to us or at least to me, at the the Sonic 25th anniversary event. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, that guy kind of looks like Roger Craig Smith, but it, that's not Roger Craig Smith. Who is that? He I, looks familiar. I also saw him at a public Sega event, uh, yeah. well, way back in 2008 too. So I guess they had the G4. It was the last day uh, time of that yeah. uh, station, and I guess they. Sega used to have their building on at the same building as where they filmed that show. Mm-hmm. So he showed up. He was there looking at games too at the time. I was two thousand, yeah, because it was like Sonic Chronicles was being shown off. Oh wow, great! You game. know, so much hope, so much yeah, hope. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, this was a surprise to Sega fans, of course. I mean, like as I mentioned, I found out on the TV. Um, the shift to Sega becoming a third-party publisher, however, was in the works internally as early as 1999, with Isao Okawa claiming that the Dreamcast would be Sega's last console and that the future was third-party, online-centric software development. You kind of saw this with the, the MP3 player and stuff like them branching out into other fields. Um, this vision also was shared by many at Sega of America, including Peter Moore and even founder David Rosen. Um, were you surprised that Sega was planning this end so early, or is this not yeah, news to you? No, I mean, when the Dreamcast came out, even though people praised the console, even though people praised the software, even though people praised the online, uh, there was always these, like, like I don't know, this, like, the way they would frame it would always be like, but is this enough? Yeah. Um, is this another failure? Like, as early as when they first showed it, it was always like a haunting doom on the console. And I think that's what made me and other people I knew get so hardcore into the console. Like, there was this weird feeling with the Dreamcast. Like, you you wanted this to succeed. Like, yeah. other consoles, whatever. I'll play some games on it. Oh, cool. Sega Genesis. Like, they already had momentum. So you don't really feel like you're fighting this, like weird thing to me the dreamcast was the first one where i was like actively reading about it actively hoping that it would uh, mm-hmm. succeed uh, thinking that every every month was just releasing a, a, a great game yeah and then and then finally it's just for to no avail i guess uh i i read it in like a magazine that's how mm-hmm. ignorant i was like i i would not watch tv when i was younger like i would go to school hang out with my my friends yeah, and then play video games. I did not want to watch TV. I didn't have cable. Uh, I don't have public TV, so I had no interest in watching TV outside of like maybe Simpsons reruns. Smart. So uh, I read it in a magazine, and I, I man, I was shocked. I was like, why? Like, yeah. what the hell? You guys yeah. like? I'm like, yes, I had all these games. Why are you guys just abandoning all this thing? Like, you guys yeah. have a format with online. You had all this stuff. And it's done. And it was this thing, too. I think really what what it was, I think, you know, so early, as you see here, internally, they, 1999, they were talking about ending it um, eventually. I think the problem was is that not everyone was all in with the Dreamcast. I feel like after the Saturn, the thought was, well, this is how we operate. We'll release another console. And then after the Dreamcast, we release another console and so on and so on. Like, I don't think... I think at companies like uh, place at Sony PlayStation, they're not thinking is PlayStation Four the end. Like they're just they know four, five, six, seven. Like they're 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 a machine. They're gonna keep making them. But and uh, I was mm-hmm. gonna say there was that Sato interview where he t- 
talked to the president. I don't. I'm going to paraphrase it, but Sato, the guy that created all these consoles, was saying yeah. that during the Saturn, he went and talked to uh, the PlayStation One president. I forget his name. Um, Kudogaria. I forget. Um, he was say, basically saying that Sega could never compete against them because Sony makes everything like a factory in the cheapest price possible because they have mm-hmm. it, they own everything. Sega yeah. doesn't own anything. They have to go to other people and bargain for pricing. pricing. Right. So you'll never undercut them. So it's just that you're fighting basically a losing battle. And really, I think that's what did it for them. Like they could yeah. never gain. They never gained that game that was Mario sixty four or Final Fantasy seven. Right. Uh, levels right. of success. Right. And I think though, you know, uh, Sega could have could have continued to chug along, probably release another console after the Dreamcast. But that would really have required everyone to be all in, all hands on deck, put the blinders on, ignore the financial results, ignore what people are telling us. And you've seen that in the past with the add-ons. You know, they'll do things that on paper seem stupid, but they'll do it anyway because they just want to keep forging on ahead, keeping the Dreamcast alive, or keeping, you know, the Saturn alive, keeping the Dreamcast alive. But I think at this point, this was when the the grown-ups had to step in and say it's... It's uh, it's done, you know. Like it's, you know, in 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 uh, Raider, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when Indy still wants to reach the Grail, and his dad's like, "Let it go, Junior. Let it go, son." You know that. Like I, I think this is when the higher ups at Sega just had to put their hand on the shoulder of the dreamers there and be like, "This is it. No, no more." You know. Yeah. It's it's sad. It's unfortunate. And I think us as fans, we we live in this kind of uh, state where we we think above and beyond what is actually the reality of the things. And I think this is where you and me, as as uh, kind of voices of fandom, get in trouble sometimes because you know you, you'll look back at our our videos and we'll we'll be really excited and ecstatic about things but in the end we typically we typically actually see eye to eye with sega's decisions because we're like yeah that wouldn't have been smart to make a dreamcast too you know like on even though i want it even though i want it so bad it would have been really dumb um so uh but yeah it's and i mean just get this so in 2000 sega was asking staff um what non-sega platforms they would like to work on and they were bringing up hardware like PDAs, Wonderswan, GBA. So they were kind of testing the waters with staff. Um, at that point, Sega also had plans for a DC chip, as they call it, which would allow, as you mentioned, DVD players and set-top boxes to play Dreamcast games. I think there was even a reveal, um, actually on on our site, wasn't it, that the Xbox was going to have it? Or at least we had additional information. I don't think we've ever released that. We should release that. We no, we never that. released it. No, we never released it. Uh, it was basically, yeah. is somebody emailed us a list of things that, like, I guess he worked at Xbox. They were and, meeting uh, notes. With, yeah, they were meeting notes for Xbox Live before it came out, and they basically just went through what worked for Sega and what did not work for Sega and what they're going to take mm-hmm. for they Xbox Live. Sega. Yeah, this was yeah. their, they had a meeting with people from Sega to pick their brains about Xbox Live. Um, yeah, we should... I'll, I'll dig dig through the emails. Maybe we can post that for our Patreon members or something, and then to the site later on. I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Sure. We'll talk about it. But um, yeah, and uh, you know, but none of this DC chip stuff happened. But fans did read about it in magazines, even the official Dreamcast magazine staff 
we're told that this is the future, this is what's going to be happening. Um, and you can listen back to that episode. I believe it was episode 50 of the Swing and Report show. And they were really confused. They were like, wait, what? Like, they just came to work one day and Sega's like, we make DVDs now. <laughs> we make DVD players. And they're like, it's going to be on, like, like air conditioners? Like, what is this? And um, it was weird. And I think this, like I was saying, you know, like, I think there were people at the company just trying to do whatever they could to keep the dream cast alive. And this was probably one of those directions that higher-ups were like, you can see where it goes, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, uh, work also began on ports for Sega arcade games on the PS2. I mean, clearly, those PS2 titles came out very quickly after July 30th, 2001. So it's clear they were doing work behind the scenes with, um, what was it, Acclaim? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think information even leaked that some of those games were coming out and Sega had to backtrack and say, it's just some of the the arcade games that you've already seen on the Dreamcast three years ago. Nothing to get excited about. No, um, I think at the time I remember reading about this, I'm like, wait, Crazy Taxi's on PS2? And this was like late 2000s, I think. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just going to be Crazy Taxi and like, you know, simple arcade ports that you saw two years ago um, I remember I remember reading the article in the official Dreamcast magazine where yeah. it basically said, "Is Sonic coming to PS2?" And mm. then it was like them saying, "No, president." And it was that that excuse you yeah, just yeah, used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that was kind of um, a leak that they didn't intend to happen because clearly, as as it went on, Virtual Fighter Four was there, um, and several other games went to PS2 that never saw a release on the Dreamcast. Um, and, you know, like, I say, like I'm saying, despite this Sega denied rumors, Charles Belfield said at a November 2000 press conference that, well, the Dreamcast as it is, like this console with those controllers and the 56K modem may not be shipping in two years' time. So in 2002, you might not be seeing this exact thing. The future of the Dreamcast was as a brand that would appear on other devices and be more of a service. So you would still have your Dreamcast console, but you might eventually replace it with your Dreamcast DVD player and you would pay your SegaNet online fee, but it would now be a Sega Dreamcast service and maybe you'd get downloadable games and things like that. Basically the precursor to Xbox Live and uh, PSN, you know, things like that where there's a lot more to it. And even with, um, what is it, Game Pass, like Xbox Game Pass, that's on a variety of platforms. It's not just the Xbox, right? That's true. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. So again, Sega thinking ahead of the uh, curve there. Um, do you think the Dreamcast chip would have been a success? I don't. You know what? At the time, I was thinking like, man, this is a genius idea. Because like, okay, let's say you, you make this like, I, I mean, hindsight, no. But I was like a kid back then, right? So I was a yeah. teenager. What do I know, right? But to me, it could have been a success if the Dreamcast never happened. Mm-hmm. And they basically sold his architect, our architecture. Like, look, we're Sega, man. We're a big name. So imagine your TV has a slot that could put in uh, our games and just mm-hmm. play them on your TV, like, or your DVD player or whatever. Right. And like, so that that would have been epic because it would give them like a edge up, like, hey, everybody, and then you would have like hundreds and millions of units yeah. that could play your games. Like, that makes sense. But the in the end, it was like you already tainted the Dreamcast name technically with, by abandoning it. So, yeah, Dreamcast uh, so would have. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's kind of weird because now you're getting to the territory where you're changing it too much. Two years ago, you were a console and you were going against Sony. Now right. you're a, a DVD slash whatever thing. Right, and basically the Dreamcast would have become a little logo on your DVD player as just a feature. Um, not unlike, you know, back in the day you'd see uh, CD-ROM compatible, photo CD compatible, you know, all of these formats and... Um, VCD, you know, so Dreamcast just would have been like the game version of that, I guess. Um, maybe you kind of think of um, the App Store, how you can play games on your Apple TV, on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer. It's all the same account. And I think that would have been innovative, but I just don't think the technology was there at the time in the uh, early 2000s. I don't think. I think if this was something Sega was getting into, maybe late 2000s they probably would have really been innovative and going somewhere but who knows by that point they might have been sold off to apple or something who just wanted to cannibalize them for their tech you know yeah yeah it's it's hard to say um unfortunately though this plan was killed by japan three weeks after christmas uh so in 2001 when they made that announcement um several reasons were given for the demise uh, Sega's inability to match Microsoft and Sony's marketing budgets have has been one. Um, big name publishers not being on board with the Dreamcast, like EA and Square. Sega of America claimed that they were unable to target customers outside of the core demographic, even though the Dreamcast sold more than Saturn, so that's kind of weird. Like, it, it did better, but they were like, oh, it didn't do as good as we wanted. <laughs> um they had some uh, high expectations, huh? Yeah, yeah. And um, at least from what I've read, it's more likely Sega simply did not counter their financial struggles from the Saturn with the Dreamcast. And they were also suffering from expensive projects like Shenmue. So it was just one of those things where... And I think that that makes the most sense because, like I said, in 1999, they were already planning this 2001 announcement and shift to third party. And I think it was because they were just looking at the financials and they're like, there's no way we're going to make it. Um, and even I, I, in the past, I've worked for places where they will tell you to your face, um, things are looking great. We have many years ahead of us. But then like down the line, there's huge cuts and everything because really behind the scenes, they they weren't doing well. You know, um, but yeah. they didn't want to tell they didn't want to tell the lower employees. So they would just keep lying to you. Uh, until the bad the shit hit the fan. <laughs> um, but to end it kind of on a positive note, uh, April 2001, so this is after that announcement, Sega did attend Game Jam, and they kind of unofficially signed off the Dreamcast project with Yuji Naka, Yu Suzuki, and Noriyoshi Oba, who's from... What's he from? Uh, didn't he make a Panzer Crazy Dragoon Taxi? And Crazy okay, Taxi. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so he took the stage with them to promote the final 36 games that were going to be releasing to the console throughout 2001. And I even remember as, as a console owner, I was still playing the Dreamcast well into 2002 because there were still a lot of great games coming out for it. So oh, it wasn't yeah. the end. It was just kind of like, it was weird being told that the hardware you have is dying. Uh, I guess the uh, closest comparison I can make is the Wii U. Um, where they were just, but they didn't really tell you. They were just like, Switch! You know? Um, yeah. So how was the final year of the Dreamcast for you as a fan? 
And what do you think the console's legacy is? And after that, I'd like to also, uh, we could have our final thoughts and then share some of the comments from our Patreon supporters. Okay, um, basically to me, um, it was kind of eye-opening, right? Like, uh, you had a console. I was still investing in this console. I still thought it was great. I was still buying controllers. I was still playing online with people. I think I probably played the Dreamcast more during like 2002, 2003, and even 2004. I didn't even buy a PlayStation 2 until like 2005. That's how uh, I felt about the console and uh, its games. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to me, it just it was just it was still great. I mean, I, I there's so much Dreamcast games. I still haven't played all the Dreamcast games. So to me, it's like it still kind of goes on, right? Like. Sure, they're not making games, but they made so many great games during those two years that, like, there's a lot to explore there. And it took me years and years before I decided to move on from the Dreamcast. So they did something mm-hmm. right. Oh, absolutely. They released a ton of games. I know in the past, uh, when I was bored, I think I did some math and I, I just showed in the same amount of time that the N64 released their entire library. You know, like, the Dreamcast had already surpassed it, you know, in, in yeah. 18 months. Like, it's just, it's insane. And the games, it wasn't, like, it, it wasn't all garbage. Like, a lot of them were classics, great games, um, for a long time only available on that console. Um, I think the legacy of the Dreamcast is probably, it was the last, like, pure gaming machine where the innovations were all tied back to gaming. I think after that, we got into this kind of terrible time when game console makers were starting to treat their consoles like uh, entertainment hubs. I remember watching E3s and people would be bemoaning uh, Microsoft talking about watching streaming movies in your living room. And and it just, it's like, cool, but we're here for games. And I, I don't think Sega were ever all about that. I think the Dreamcast itself was just like, games came first and we're seeing that again now i think i think they're kind of coming around with the switch and i think that's why people compare the switch to the dreamcast because it's a very game focused console but the switch would never touch the dreamcast in terms of um online gameplay and content it's actually kind of laughable because you think about it, the switch does not have that many online games i think the dreamcast probably has more online games than the switch so mm. I but, agree with that. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it was a great swan song. It's a fantastic console. I think if you if you don't own one, I would suggest picking it up. I know there's all these things called, like, Dream High and, and emulating and all that sort of stuff. But let's be honest. Just go get the console and, you know, like, burn some games if you want. I don't care. Like, yeah, you know, they're, they're too expensive now. Burn some games it's really not going to hurt the thing that badly, <laughs> you know. Get a there's backup, even, whatever. Yeah, there's even this thing on the on the Saturn. I've seen it at least. I think they have one on the Dreamcast where you could load the ISOs on like a hard drive or a, a mm-hmm. separate like flash drive or something, and then just play them off the list. Whatever it takes, I just suggest you play it off of real hardware because uh, I hate when I have to play sometimes like emulators and it's always just a little off. It just bugs mm-hmm. me, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's just no, my absolutely. opinion on that too. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to add about the Dreamcast before we get into our patrons? Uh, I, I love the Dreamcast. It probably create. It's the reason why Sega Bits is probably created. If it wasn't for that, 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a great console. Happy twentieth anniversary! I hope everybody plays it. Yes. And let's hear some other people's comments about the Dreamcast. Absolutely. So if you are a Patreon supporter, you get first come, first serve, and as of now, only serve um, for hearing your thoughts read. Now, this one, I was shocked because I posted this yesterday, and we have three people, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they posted a ton. So I don't know, George, if you're editing this, maybe you can drop in like the full screen grabs and just kind of cycle through them so people can take a look at what they're saying here. I can't read all of this, or it would take another <laughs> probably 15 minutes of the show, but I'll, I'll read some selections here. Um, so here we go. So uh, we have 019... He says uh, his memories include getting my launch issue of the Dreamcast magazine after pre-ordering, bringing it to school and showing off all the games I was going to be playing, using my 56K modem to spend the days downloading videos of Sonic Adventure, and forcing my family to gather around and watch, getting the console and not affording a VMU yet, and replaying Sonic Adventure from the start over and over again, seeing how far I could get um, replaying, yeah, how far I could get without the VMU. Um, he also says playing Blue Stinger and hearing goddamn son of a bitch in a video game very <laughs> loudly and having my dad yell into the room inquiring what the heck I was watching. Uh, Daniel Andres says the Dreamcast is my favorite console of all time. It has introduced me to so many great games. I've had one ever since 2013 and I have loved it immediately ever since. That's kind of cool. So he's, he's a newbie, but it's his favorite console of all time. So good for him. Um, he's played some great games here. He lists Sonic Adventure, uh, yeah, Sonic Shuffle, Jet Set Radio, <laughs> Skies of Arcadia, Seaman, both Shenmue's. Tons of great games here he's listing off. Um, yeah, so he's happy to have discovered it, and we're happy that he's playing it. Thank you so much for your comments. And then we have Nicholas Schaefer here. He says, I remember my first time I saw the Dreamcast. It was Holiday 99. I was 14. I had only received my first video game console, the Genesis, less than a year ago and was obsessed with all things Sega. It was at Toys R Us, and they had a demo of Sonic Adventure. Someone had set it to Big the Cat, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it, so I thought it was just cool. It took me a long time to save, and I was finally able to buy it in June 2001. Me and my buddies took turns playing Sonic Adventure, Tony Hawk, Crazy Taxi, and Sonic Shuffle for the next 48 hours, and um, he was surprised it didn't overheat. Uh, he probably spent the most time playing the SA, the Sonic Adventure 2 demo. Yeah, I don't blame him. I played that one a lot. Yeah. Um, no matter how many times I play City Escape, I always want to play it one more time. And so, yeah, he looks like he really loves the Dreamcast. And I don't blame him. So it's I, I really like hearing these stories both from the 90s, 2000s, and even as, as uh, late as 2013. It just goes to show you that it's a fantastic console that stands the test of time. So uh, happy 20th birthday to the Sega Dreamcast again. Uh, it runs on magic. There's nothing inside of it except for dreams and love and good intentions. So go play your Dreamcast today. See ya. Bye.